All right, well, you can open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We, uh, if this is your first time with us tonight, uh, we, we study through books of the Bible a lot of times. Um, we think that's the best way to do it. Uh, it. It makes me teach things that I don't necessarily want to teach, and it, it, it protects us from just getting what we want out of the text and out of God's Word. So, and we do believe this is God's Word. We believe that it's a gift from Him to us. And so we read it that way and we study it that way. Uh, in, in 1543, I don't know if y'all remember this from your history classes, but uh, way back in 1543, however many years ago that was, this dude named Nicholas Copernicus, you ever heard of him before? He, uh, he, he wrote this uh, treatise, this article basically, that said that uh, the earth was not the center of the universe. Now, now for us, we hear that and we're like, well, duh. Well, it was, it, that was a shocker for the people that, that read this because for years, for so long, that's what people believed was the earth was the center of the universe. And in this treatise, he said that the earth was not the center of the universe. Instead, he said that the sun was the center of the universe. Now, we know that's not true, but at least they were kind of moving towards the right direction. So, so people had believed for so long that in, in what was called a geocentric model, the earth is the center of the universe. And he said, no, 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 it's a heliocentric model where the sun is the center of the universe. Now, this threw the scientific world uh, into just total chaos. They call it the Copernican Revolution. It threw them into total chaos because everybody started to, to ask this question, well, what is in the middle? I mean, really, what is in the middle of the universe? And I share that story with you tonight because, because that's the question that's really going to lead us tonight. What is in the middle? Uh, we're, we're coming back to our study in 1 Timothy 4, and, and uh, what we're going to see is that question is really going to, I think, help us answer uh, a lot of what we're going to read tonight. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and, and I'll, just, I'll read the whole section we're going to study tonight. It says this, The Spirit clearly says, that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus or a good servant of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, like that one uh, that, that carrots make, make you see better so you're you know, broccoli and all that. Anyways, okay. So have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this, we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Okay, so there's two things that Paul says in, in these 10 verses tonight. The first is this, there will be false gospels. He says there will be false gospels. And the second thing he says is pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. Now, now it sounds like these two things that he says are, are totally out of context with each other. They, they don't really belong in the same uh, sermon. They don't really belong together. But, but what we're going to see tonight is, is they do. Like we're probably asking Paul, dude, what's your train of thought here? Okay, pursue godliness. There's going to be false gospels. How do those fit together? But what we're going to see is as we study into both of these things, they're both related through this one question, what's in the middle? 
So, so look at those first uh, two verses. Verse one, he says, the spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So he says, the spirit clearly says, now let me clarify what he's saying there. When he says the spirit, capital S, clearly says, he's referring back to two things. One, he's referring back to the Old Testament prophets in God's word, which you hold in your hand, uh, as well as the things that Jesus had already said. Because when the prophets spoke, it was God's spirit speaking through those prophets. And then oftentimes, uh, Jesus, whenever he spoke, his words were considered words from the spirit of Christ. So he says that the spirit clearly says, in other words, God's word clearly says that in later times, now when he says later times, here's what's happening. If you go back to these Old Testament prophets and back to Jesus, when they were clearly saying these things that he's talking about, they were saying them over here in this time, looking forward, saying that in later time, these things will happen. You follow me? And so when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy a few years later, he is actually in that time or the beginning of that time that, that the prophets and Jesus were referring to when they said in later times. And, and so when he's saying this, what he's saying really is God's word says that now Paul talking, in the time that we live in, these things will happen. And that was the beginning of the time that we live in. So we can read this now as it's saying, God's word clearly says that now, both in Paul's time and in our time, these things are going to happen. And here's what he says is going to happen. Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In other words, he says some will abandon the faith um, and, uh, and, and follow things taught by spirits and by demons. Now, when we hear the words uh, spirits or evil spirits and demons, I think our mind immediately goes towards the picture uh, that we get from these horror movies that we've seen. I, I don't know, some of y'all have probably gone and seen the movie uh, The Exorcist or some of those movies uh, about exorcism or some of y'all, any of y'all seen the paranormal activity movies? Uh, a couple of y'all, don't, I, I can't go see them. I, I'll wet myself and cry and look terrible in front of other people. Uh, but what I think of, since I haven't seen those movies, is uh, I, I th- my mind goes to, you remember that, I think it was a YouTube video that went around and uh, it's kind of as a prank and it, it's, it's like, it looks like a commercial. It's this peaceful car driving through this peaceful meadow. And, and you try to turn the volume up to hear what they're saying, but it won't turn up. And so you get really close to it and all of a sudden this, this you know, freaky dude or freaky face jumps in front of the screen and, and then wet yourself and cry. And uh, that's, that's what I think of. And here's the thing, when, when our minds immediately go to that, when we think of evil spirits and demons, I think we think when we hear Paul say this, okay, we're not susceptible to what he's talking about here. Because this stuff comes from evil spirits and demons. And so like, like we're gonna be able to tell when something is false if it's coming from something so evil looking as that. But, but when we think that, we're not paying attention to what he says in verse two because verse two, listen to what he says. He says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now here's what he's saying. He's saying these, these false, deceptive teachings come through people that look and act just like us. They come through people that look just like you, talk probably just like you, act probably very similar to you. And he, he uses two words to describe, or two descriptions to describe them. First, he calls them hypocritical liars, which basically means two-faced punks. And then he says, uh, they're people whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, uh, destroyed even as with a hot iron. Uh, when I was in high school, I played basketball and my number was the number 11. And uh, so I thought it'd be cool since my parents wouldn't let me get a tattoo uh, to brand myself with the number 11 uh, so that when I was playing basketball, it would just be cool. It'd be like on me. So I, I uh, made a stencil and, uh, and then I, I, I stuck it on my shoulder. My mom had this uh, a sun lamp, which is basically uh, the, the, the power of a light bulb that's in a tanning bed, okay? But maybe a little bit stronger. And I went to the bathroom, locked myself in there for close to an hour 
And I took this stencil, which was the stencil of the number 11, and I, and I just held my shoulder, I covered everything else up, held my shoulder up to this sun lamp for literally about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, now, when I was doing that, it, my, you know, my arm was warm, but it didn't hurt at all. Uh, but what began to happen was, as soon as I was done and took that stencil off, one, the 11 was there. I got to give myself props. The stencil was a really good stencil. So I had the number 11. But then over the next 24 hours or so, it begins to like, like bubble up and like scab up and then it starts to bleed. And over the like next week or two, it was just disgusting and painful. And so for literally it, up until just like a year, maybe two years ago, I had this number 11 on my arm. Like you could see the remnants of it. Up, and that was like 10 years ago, 12 years ago. It was a long time ago. Um, and, and it destroyed part of my arm. And then probably one day I'm going to have cancer from it, skin cancer or something. But, but what he's saying is these, their consciences, they've been destroyed as if you take this hot iron or you take this sun lamp and just let it sit on it for an hour. And, and the interesting thing about this is it's not like these people who these false teachings would come through knew that their consciences were being destroyed. You know, just like my arm was in front of that sun lamp and I couldn't really feel the, the pain of, that was coming. Uh, it, it's true of these people their consciences are serious. It's like that illustration that you've probably heard where you throw a frog into a uh, pan, pot, pot, there you go, and, uh, and you turn the, turn the heat on and it slowly heats up. The frog's just chilling in there like, yeah, what's up, dog? And, you know, he doesn't know that he's about to boil to pieces and die because he doesn't feel the temperature change as it gradually changes. You see what I'm saying? Uh, same kind of concept here. So what he's saying is, these, these normal-looking, normal-acting people will come to you claiming to teach the gospel, but what they're really teaching is false. Now, I've, I've talked about Dumb and Dumber a lot in here, my favorite movie of all time. Anybody else with me on, on Dumb and Dumber? Okay, there you go. I don't know if you've heard the news, but they're coming out with a new Real Dumb and Dumber with Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels, not the Dumb and Dumber-er. It'll be good. And uh, I, when I think of this right here, when he says uh, they'll come to you with these false gospels, the picture I get is from that scene where they're eating with, uh, with the guy that's coming after them in, in that, that burger joint, the hot tamale burger joint. And, uh, and they've got these hot tamales, uh, uh, Lloyd and Harry, they both take one and they spit ketchup in their mouth and everything. Well, the guy gets up to go make a phone call. And uh, what do they do when he gets up to go make the phone call? They take some of those tamales, they stick them in his burger, uh, shut the burger, and then wait for him to come back. Now, when he comes back, you know, he sits down and, and uh, he starts to take the burger up to his mouth, but he doesn't eat yet. He sets it down and asks them a question, and, and, and Lloyd is like, uh, he answers the question, and then he goes, well, how's your burger? You know, he's, it's like totally obvious that they've done something to it. But anyways, he eats the burger, and, and, and the, these false gospels are, are just like this. They work just like this. On the outside, they... The message, it sounds like the gospel. You know, that, that first taste that you get, you know, the first taste that he got when he bit into that burger was the actual burger. And so the, these false gospels, they, they taste on the outside like the gospel, but when you bite into it, and when you get to the core, you realize that it's not at all. And so what Paul's saying is there will be false gospels. There will be lies that very closely resemble the true gospel, but at the core, it's not. And then he goes on really in this to say that they'll be so believable that many and maybe some in this room will be captivated and pulled away by it. He says they will abandon the faith and they will follow these deceptive false gospels. So the question that I feel like naturally comes out of that is, is this. How do we tell the difference? How do we tell the difference between false gospels and the true gospel? And I'll tell you what it comes back to. 
it comes, it comes back to that question we asked at the beginning. What's in the middle? Uh, you, you look at what he says, verse, uh, verse three. He says, they forbid people to marry. He, he begins to give an example and describe an example of one of the false gospels that was common for them in their day. He says, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and by prayer. This, is, this, this false gospel that was common in their day is what we would identify today as something called uh, asceticism. Everybody say asceticism. Okay, asceticism is the belief that by harming your body or denying your body certain pleasures and certain things, you can earn right standing with God or you can earn a higher spiritual status uh, relationship with God. And so specifically for them, you look at verse three, they were being told not to get married. It wasn't the marriage part that was the issue. They didn't want them to get married. They, they were being taught not to get married because they were being taught that they needed to deny themselves the pleasure of sex. And then they were being taught to deny certain foods. They were being taught to deny certain foods, probably specifically meat. So they were being told not to have sex and not to enjoy meat. Praise God, that's not the gospel. <laughs> And, 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 and really, he's, he's given uh, all you vegans and you vegetarians uh, like uh, uh, permission to stop torturing yourself and you can start eating meat again. But, but you listen to that. People were being, were being told not to do these things in order to earn right standing with God. But you listen to that. And, and here's my question. What's in the middle of that? What's at the core of that? What is, you know, Copernicus talked about the, the, not the earth, but the sun being in the center of the universe. What, what does this false gospel that Paul mentions here, what is, what is, it, the, what is it revolving around? And the answer is it, it revolves around what you are able to accomplish through your pain and suffering. That's what's at the core of that false gospel. But, but let me point out a couple other false gospels that I think are more common uh, today. One is legalism. Legalism is the belief that uh, by doing good works, you can earn right standing with God. You can earn salvation, uh, eternity in heaven. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the, actually this, this teaching has, has come up a couple times just in the past few months here at UNT and TWU, and it's, it's a form of legalism. It's the teaching that after you come to know Jesus, uh, true Christians will actually attain full perfection here in this life before entering into eternity. This, is, this has come up a lot um, on both of these campuses. And that is a form of legalism. That is a false gospel. And, and here's, here's what that legalism does. Or let me ask you this. What's in the middle of legalism? What's at the core of legalism? What is it revolving around? It, it, you, you're exactly right. It is revolving around what you are able to accomplish through your good works. Legalism. And there's one other one that I think is pretty common today, and it's mysticism. Uh, mysticism is believing that certain signs will accompany true salvation in Jesus. For example, speaking in tongues or healings or certain things like that. Um, or mysticism, another form of that, is an obsession with what the Holy Spirit does and the activity of, of, of demons and evil spirits. Now let me just back up and say this. Every true Christian in some way is a mystic. Uh, because your faith and, and your salvation is only explainable and understandable by, by people who have experienced God through the Holy Spirit. So, so if you are a Christian, in some way you are a mystic. But mysticism takes that to a, to a whole new extreme. And, and let me ask you this. What's the middle of mysticism? What's at the core? What does it revolve around? 
Now, this one's a little bit of a, uh, of a trickier. You've got to think about this answer a little bit more. The first is, is this. Uh, at the core of mysticism is, is the Holy Spirit. Now, now, you hear me say that, and you're thinking, well, what's wrong with that? Well, the reason there's an issue with that is John 16, uh, I think it's 13 through 15, says very clearly that the whole role of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not exist to, to say, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. So any theology or anybody who's teaching where their focus is on the Holy Spirit, you know something's off because that's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does this, points to Jesus, points to Jesus, points to Jesus. Now any theology whose focus is on demons, obviously there's something wrong with that. So, so at the core, at the middle of mysticism is the Holy Spirit. The other thing that's at the middle of mysticism is whether or not you are able to do certain things. Uh, and, and that earning you a special standing before God. Now, I'm not denying spiritual gifts. Uh, the Bible's very clear that he gives us spiritual gifts. And, and for some people, that may be speaking in tongues. For some people, that may be healing other people. So for some people, that might be teaching um, or administration. I didn't get that one. Or organization, also didn't get that one. Or hospitality, I didn't really get that one either. But you, you skip down to, uh, to verse 9. Paul goes on, he says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Here's what he's saying. He says, this is the true gospel. And he says, for this we labor and we strive. In other words, we work hard to protect it. It's like somebody gave you a toy for Christmas and then your brother or your sister gets an aluminum bat for Christmas and is trying to find your toy and just whack the tar out of it. And you're standing between the aluminum bat and your toy. He's saying, look, this is the true gospel and we labor and we strive. We work hard to protect it from that crazy, crazed, psychotic sister of yours with the aluminum bat. And then he goes on and he, he gets a little bit specific. He says four things about the true gospel. He says, we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all men and especially of those who believe. There's four things that he, he shows us here about the true gospel. He says, we have put our hope in the living God. The first thing he says is, our hope is in Jesus, not ourselves. False gospels leave us enslaved to what we think we can do for ourselves. Legalism and asceticism are perfect examples of this. They're all about what we can do for ourselves or what we think we can do for ourselves in order to attain right standing with God. Mysticism, it's off because it leads us to strive uh, for certain gifts of the Holy Spirit instead of striving for Jesus. The true gospel, our hope is in Jesus, not ourselves or anything else. So he, he says, we have put our hope in the living God. The second thing that he says about the gospel is Jesus is alive, not dead. I know this may come as a shock to you, but this upcoming weekend, Easter weekend, is not about this Easter bunny that runs around pooping out uh, colorful eggs full of candy for kids to find in the yard. I don't, I, I don't know where that part of it came from. I just picture this uh, overgrown bearded man who drives a 15 passenger van with tinted windows that says free candy on the side that thought, hey, I'll make an Easter bunny and uh, just creepy, creepy man. I don't know, but <laughs> Jesus is alive, not dead. Friday, this Friday, we remember what Jesus did on the cross, his brutal death on the cross that had to happen for you and I to be saved from our sins. And Sunday, we celebrate his miraculous resurrection, his mysterious and awesome resurrection from the dead. Our God is not dead. Interesting thing, Christianity is the only religion in the world whose founder is not dead. You can go to, uh, you can go to Medina, Saudi Arabia, and you can see Muhammad's tomb. He'll meet you there. 
Uh, you can go to Sri Lanka and you can, you can find the tomb, uh, or at least uh, the shrine that has part of Buddha's body in it, the founder of Buddhism. He'll meet you there. You can go to, uh, you can go to uh, Northern Israel and I can't say the name, Baha'u'llah, the founder of Baha'i faith, which has kind of become a popular faith. And you can go visit his grave in Northern Israel. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, you can go to a family farm up in Illinois and you can visit his grave. But Christianity, yeah, you can go to Jerusalem and you can find uh, what people think is Jesus's grave, but nobody really knows where his grave is because he's not there. Our God is not dead, he is alive. Jesus is alive, not dead. The third thing that he says about the gospel is this. He says, we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all men who is the savior of all men. Everyone needs Jesus to save them. Everyone needs Jesus to save them. Romans 3, 23 through 24 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The third thing that Paul says about the true gospel is everyone needs Jesus to save them. And then there's a fourth thing. He says, we've put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all men and especially or specifically for those who believe. The fourth thing he says is only those who believe in Jesus will be saved. There's not a single person on the face of this planet that will be reunited with God, AKA make it into heaven unless it's through Jesus. Uh, John 14, six says this, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father. Nobody gets to heaven except through Jesus. Uh, Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God, what? Raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the true gospel. That's what Paul's saying. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And here's my question. What's in the middle? It's not you, it's not me, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's not anybody or anything but Jesus. Jesus is in the middle. <clears throat> and this is how we discern between what are false gospels and what is the true gospel. So the first thing that Paul says is there will be false gospels. The second thing he says is pursue godliness. Look at verse six. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers or the sisters, the, the, the Christians, your fam, you will be a good minister or servant of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Verse seven, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Uh, I don't know if y'all ever go to the rec center. Uh, I, don't, I go to LA Fitness, but rec center, LA Fitness, same thing. Like It's packed this time of year. Uh, and it's packed because spring break, it was actually packed before spring break. Everybody had to start getting their beach body going. And now it's really packed because summer's just right around the corner. So people are showing up, they're working out. And, and I, other than going there to work out, I like going to LA Fitness because it's, it's a hilarious place to people watch because people do really dumb things in the weight room, guys especially. And I'll just, I'll just confess, one of the things that the guys do, including myself, uh, we, we, we watch what other dudes are doing for, for two reasons. One, uh, like when we're, when we're lifting, if we see somebody else doing the same workout as us with more weight, then what are we going to do? We're going to get more weight on and match what they're doing or outdo what they're doing if we can and sometimes hurt ourselves in the process. Uh, but the other thing that we do is we admire, sounds weird, but we admire uh, other dudes 
physique when they come in and they've got uh, bigger biceps than us or bigger triceps than us. I'll give you an example of when this happened for me. Um, I was uh, actually at the LA Fitness in McKinney a few years ago, and I'm, I'm sitting on one of those kind of angled benches doing uh, this, this bicep workout, you know, curls for girls. And uh, I was doing these curls, and I, had, I think I had about 20s or 25s, okay? So I'm, I'm a weakling, but so I'm doing these curls, right? And, uh, and this person next to me, same lift, but they got twice as much weight as me. And so they got like 40s, 45s, my math's not good, so whatever's twice of 20, 25. So they're doing the same workout as me, right? And I'm just watching, cause like, man, they have like the most chiseled biceps I had seen in a long time. So I'm kinda like working out over here, like, you know, doing this whole thing and thinking one day, one day, one day. And uh, I'm just kinda watching and probably creeping them out. But anyways, so uh, eventually uh, she got up and put her, uh, <laughs> racked her weights, and uh, I was totally humiliated when I realized that. But, uh, you, know, you know, most of us, uh, <laughs> most of us in this room, most of us in this room, uh, we, we've got some sort of desire to be healthy. Uh, we have some sort of desire. Well, that's, you know, we, we, we've got some goals. We, we maybe want to lose weight. Some of us want to gain weight. Some of us want to uh, get our body fat percentage better. Uh, some of us want to get faster, jump higher, be more endurance. To, we, we, we have some health goals. And there's ways, uh, for the most part, that we can measure that. I mean, we can hop on a scale, see if we've lost or gained weight. We can check our body fat percentage or, you know, do the old school way of doing it. Um, and then we can, like, test or time ourselves to see if we're running the mile faster than we were, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, but, but listen to what Paul says. He says, though physical training is of some value, Godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, now there's a lot of directions I feel like we could go from here. You know, we could take this to, okay, so how do we train ourselves to be godly? Or uh, what are some godly goals that we can, you know, set for ourselves to pursue? Uh, but instead of going those directions, because that's two totally different sermons, I, here, here's where I want to go tonight. When it comes to, to training in the weight room, there are, there are ways for us to, uh, to monitor our progress. But, but what about training ourselves to be godly? How do, how do we know that we're growing in godliness? How do we know? And, and the answer to that question comes back around to the question we asked at the beginning. What's in the middle? Um, back, back to that Copernican revolution where Copernicus, he shows up and he says, look, okay, so y'all been saying this is the earth and the whole universe revolves around the earth. He says, no, no, that's not it anymore. Uh, He said that the sun was in the middle. And so the earth and everything else revolved around the sun. Now, Now, this was a humbling theory for people to hear because not only did it challenge the belief that they had had and the thought and understanding that they had had their whole life, But it was humbling because if it was true, it had huge, huge implications on not only the place of the earth in the universe, but also the place of humans in the universe. I mean, this this theory took the earth out of the most important place in all of the universe and just stuck it out there with everybody else. This was called the Copernican Revolution. It was called a, a revolution because it literally shook the world. Now for us, we, we stand at a distance and we have more science and technology and we think, man, you know, those people are foolish for thinking something like that. But, but for them, it wasn't foolish. For them, it is all they had ever known. 
And today, I feel like we find ourselves in a very similar revolution as the Copernican Revolution. Because listen to what he says. He he keeps using this word, Paul does, godliness, this word godliness. And godliness is another word or another way to say God-centeredness. So you have geocentricity, the earth is in the middle, heliocentricity, the sun is in the middle. Geocentricity is to heliocentricity as self-centeredness is to God-centeredness. And as people born into sin, we are naturally inclined to assume that we sit at the center of the universe. The universe revolves around us. And, And whether we want to admit it or not, this is the way that we think. This is the way that we make decisions. This is, this is a, the way that we view ourselves. But the Bible calls us to a massive paradigm shift, a massive change in the way that we think, a revolution similar to the Copernican revolution. And that shift is from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. And just like Copernicus's theory, this is a humbling change for us. It's humbling not, o- not only because it, it, it challenges or changes the way that we've thought or been naturally inclined to think all our lives, but it's, it's, it's humbling because it has huge implications on our place in the universe and the world. In the Copernican Revolution, it went from, from the movement of the universe being determined by where the earth was, or at least they thought, to the movement of the earth being determined by where the sun was. And in this revolution, when we grow in godliness, we will go from living as if the movement of the world, the universe, does this around us to our movement being determined by where God is. Our decisions and our actions will no longer revolve around ourselves, but around God. So that's where Paul goes into verse 9 and 10 and, and says, This is a trustworthy saying, deserving full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. In fact, if you back up to chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. And look at what he says. He says, he appeared in a body, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Who's he talking about in verse 16 when he says, the mystery of godliness is great? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, the mystery of godliness. It is Jesus. And so how do we know if we are growing in godliness? It comes back to that question, what is in the middle? Is it you or is it Jesus? So so two things Paul said. The first, there will be false gospels. Don't believe everything people tell you. Just because they say it's the gospel doesn't mean it is. You have to test it. And the way you test it is by asking, what's in the middle? Is it me? Is it you? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it something else? Or is it Jesus? 
And then he says, pursue godliness, pursue God-centeredness. I was talking with a, with a, with a buddy just recently, and we were kind of sharing our stories, sharing our testimonies with each other. And uh, he was sharing with me how it was his dream, his passion to play basketball in college uh, until uh, his knee blew out. He tore up his knee. And as he was telling me a little bit of his story, I was thinking, man, like, I feel like our stories are probably pretty similar in that. You know, I, I did play basketball. Well, I sat on the bench for a year in college on a basketball team. And uh, my passion from the time I was like six years old all the way through this year of college and even a little bit past was basketball. I wanted to play for the rest of my life. But I get through a, a season in college and God rips it away from me. He completely rips it away. And my story is he ripped it away from me to help me see my self-centeredness and to help me see that he was not in the middle where he belongs. And I, you know, I was just telling this guy, you know, maybe your story is similar to mine in that maybe God has ripped that away from you so that you'll see your self-centeredness and see that God is not in the middle where, you, where he belongs. And just thinking about that, that conversation from this week and thinking about tonight, I, I have no doubt that some of you have had things ripped away from you. For some of you, that may be sports, uh, it may be relationships or, or a job or your plans. It could be a whole list of things. And you're still bitter about it because it's been ripped away from you. Because you've yet to come to the realization that maybe, just maybe, God took that away from you on purpose to show you your self-centeredness and reveal that he is not in the middle where he's supposed to be. And so tonight, the question I really want to leave you with is, is when, you, when you look at your life, what is in the middle? When you look at yourself, what is in the middle? 